Welcome to the Investing Tutor Podcast, the show for professionals looking to master the most up-to-date strategies needed to build wealth and provide a stable financial future. Here's your host, Dr. Hans Boateng. Hey everyone, Dr. Hans here, the Investing Tutor and friends. I have an incredible episode for you today. On the podcast with me is Timothy Johnson. Now, Timothy is a mortgage loan officer. Typically, I speak a lot about investing, right? Investing in the market, being able to manage your 401k, being able to understand how to identify stocks. One of the most important topics which I am yet to talk about is real estate. I've been connected with Timothy on LinkedIn for quite a while, and I feel like he is someone that I can trust to share with you all the nuances as it relates to being able to acquire your first home, understanding the different types of mortgages that are out there, right? So this conversation is going to be for any professional or for any individual who is looking to understand the process by which they are going to be able to get that house of their dreams. And so then with that being said, Timothy, welcome. Dr. Hans, I greatly appreciate it. And before we even get started, I want to thank you for, uh, for bringing me on your podcast. I've been following you as well on LinkedIn, listening to your podcast. I talk to a lot of pharmacists, right? And the one thing that they say to me is that, hey, you know, the institution that we graduated from does great bias. They teach us how to do our, our profession and we're ready to go. But the one thing they kind of wished that the institutions taught them a little more based on my conversations is a little bit more of, of, of kind of the... How do, you, how do you navigate the financial arena once you leave school? How do you get that mortgage? How do you, how do you save for the future and things of that sort? And so when I look at the investing tutor, I think of it as a great way to be able to fill that gap that, that perhaps the universities haven't quite, haven't quite gotten to as of yet. So I want to thank you for that. And it's good to be here. I greatly appreciate it, Timothy. So for our listeners, they probably want to know who is Timothy? right? What's your story? What's your background? Uh, what, will you be able to share that with us? Sure, please. Listen, first and foremost, I am a father and a husband. I have three children. I've been married for 13 years and I love my family and everything I do is for them. Um, after that, I'm a mortgage loan officer, right? I, I help people to get into the homes of their dreams. Um, I'll tell you one other thing. I went to Penn State University from 94 to 97. I didn't finish, right? And then later on, my wife, you know, pretty much kicked me out of the door and encouraged me to finish. My daughter at the time was one year old. I owned my own business for three years. I was an independent closer for title companies uh, for Pennsylvania and New Jersey. And I just went out and did closings all day. And so I made a ton of relationships with a ton of realtors and other folks. And so that was a good segue into uh, becoming a mortgage loan officer with Fulton Bank. So let's take it as one of the listeners is, is curious, they are thinking to themselves, I think it's about time that I you know, get a home. Obviously, one of the first things that an individual needs to do is to find out if they are pre-approved for a mortgage, right? What would you say are the do's and don'ts that an individual needs to know so that they have a better chance or better opportunity at being pre-approved? One thing I would say is start 60 to 90 days before you even look to, to speak with a lender about pre-approval. Pull your credit. See what's on there, right? See what your score is. See what, see what, what items on your credit report are affecting your score. 
A lot of people don't know this, but your score is affected. Obviously, they know that it's affected by multiple factors. But one of the bigger factors is if you have credit cards, right? I don't care if it's a $500 credit card or if you have, you know, $10,000 uh, credit card or, or credit card sum. Um, if your usage goes above 30% of that, of that credit line, that credit limit, then your score goes down. So that's, that's one thing that you want to take a look at very well ahead so that you can make adjustments for pre-approval. Because here's the thing about, about, about mortgages, the higher your credit score, and it sounds obvious to say, but the higher your credit score, the lower your interest rate is going to be. So your credit score and, and the quality of what's on your credit report is going to affect you drastically. Now, Speaking about credit score, for example, me growing up, I've told the story when I was 18, going into a retail store, I was going to buy, you know, a handheld gaming device. The Mm -hmm. sales agent came out and said, hey, are you using a credit card? I was like, what's a credit card? He's like, oh, (laughs) it's free money, right? We give you an amount of money that you can use and, you know, just pay month after month. It's very, very, very simple. Do you want to see if you are, if you qualify? I went ahead and said yes. And I got Mm -hmm. approved for $3,000. Mind you, I was 18 at that time. Mm -hmm. So instead of purchasing a handheld gaming device, I walked out with like an Xbox 360, a 42-inch TV, (laughs) and and several video games. Man, it it was absolutely incredible. So as a youngster, <laughs> not knowing any better, and mind you, for me, I never missed a payment. I knew, hey, even if I am not able to pay more than the minimum, I was always going to make a payment. So for me, in that regard, I never had, let's say, a negative report on my credit. But for someone who's listening, who mm-hmm. maybe there was a tough month here or there, and they missed a couple of payments. You know, maybe their credit score is not as good as it should be. Mm -hmm. What would you say to that individual? Can they have a dream of owning a home? Or is that um, out of reach for them? No, it's definitely not out of reach. Absolutely not out of reach. But there is a cost to it, right? And it comes in the form of interest expense. So if, if there's an individual out there who's, who's got some tough things on their credit report, can a lender get them through, get them approved, get them into a home, perhaps even the home of their dream? Yes, they can. Will it cost them in, in terms of a higher interest rate and in terms of potentially higher private mortgage insurance? Yes, it will. And so I would probably have a conversation with that individual. And it's, and it's a conversation I would have with anyone. And it's basically this. Hey, you got two options. One, you can... You can, you can wait a little bit, have some patience, get some distance between you and that last late payment, and thereby you know, save yourself thousands of dollars on the back end when you go get this 30-year mortgage or whatever the term is. Or we can work with you, but just understand that there's a cost to it, right? And, so, and that's what I said in the very beginning. I will, I'll give options, right? That's my job. I'll give options. I'll say you can do A, you can do B, or you can do C. And here are the ramifications of those options. Now you make the best decision for for yourself. Well, that's good to know that an individual should not feel like they cannot own a home. Obviously, it comes at a higher cost. And I want to get an idea of that higher cost. And I, you know, for the sake of this conversation, we know it's just examples. So, you know, I'm not holding you to this exact kind of like percentage, but let's say- 
interest rates are currently at 5%. For an individual who does not have the best credit, right? What kind of increase are you anticipating? Like, are they going to go from 5 to 7%? Will the interest rate be 6.5? You know, you sharing will enable us to be able to have an idea as to the extra added cost with regards to, you know, an increase in interest rate for them. What happens is, is that all those loans are, are, all the conventional loans are sold to Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac, right? So Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac have put in guidelines called add-on adjustments that they make every single lender add on to an interest rate, right? And they do it based on two things. They do it based on LTV, loan to value. So if you're putting down 3%, your loan to value is 97%. And they do it based on FICO score, right? So if you're coming in and your interest rate is, let's just say, I'm sorry, excuse me, if, if your FICO score is 620 and you're putting down 3%, Fannie Mae makes us add on 3.5 um, points to, to a loan. So if, if best pricing is, and I know if best pricing is four and an eight, 4.125, we have to add on three and a half points to that. And so, so you're somewhere near in the mid fives or so. So that's the, and then, and then you take those numbers and the differences and you start to amortize them over 30 years. You really see the bigger impact of, of having a, a lower credit score. And perhaps, hey, maybe then once you see it, you say, maybe I need to wait. I see. So if the interest, current interest rate was 5%, and I'm using 5% because I just want to use like a fixed number, or we can use sure. 4%. Let's say current interest rate is 4%. So is it 4% plus 3.5? Well, no, not 3.5% to the rate, but 3.5% to, to the point. So assume that the best rate is 4%, no points. And this is hypothetical, right? Mm-hmm. Fannie Mae says, hey, this person has a 620 credit score. They're only putting down 3%. They're a higher risk. We need to add on three and a half points to the loan, which then affects the rate by increasing it to somewhere around five and a half, five and three quarters. Understood. So it's about a 1%, 1.5, but it varies depending on an individual's unique circumstance. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that 1% is, a, I mean, just amortize 1% over a 30-year term on a $100,000 deal. That's, that's real money. So that's why it's, it's, if you can get your credit score up higher, you can, you can reduce your interest rate and you'll pay less interest over the term of the loan. Yeah. Timothy, what I've discovered is that most professionals you know, whether doctors, lawyers, pharmacists, nurse practitioners, the typical articles and blogs that you see and news reports is that student loans are preventing individuals from being able to qualify for a mortgage. Now, for me, I've been saying this for the longest time. It's not the student loan itself that prevents individuals from being able to get a mortgage. It's actually Mm -hmm. the monthly payment. And as it relates to the person's income, please, can you speak on this? And is my thought process right? Well, sure. Because even once you come to me and say, hey, Timothy, I have a 750 credit score. I'm all good to go. I still need to take a, take a look at your debt to income. I need to find out how much you're making per month. And then I need to find out what your liabilities are per month that you're paying, student loans, credit cards. And yeah, it negatively impacts what they can afford. Um, in that case, the only good thing is that they're making, you know, they're making a substantial amount of money to, to still get the home that they want. But absolutely, a monthly 
student loan payment will always constrict you as far as how much you can be, how much you're approved for to buy a home. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. I'm sorry. Let's dive into that a bit because I don't want individuals to think that just the student loan itself is a negative um, factor, but rather the amount of the monthly income, because that is what's going to impact the debt to income ratio, right? Because if a person is earning 10,000 a month, right? Mm -hmm. And they are paying, they have a payment structure, like their repayment plan is $500 a month towards student loans. That means they Mm -hmm. have 9,500 of available income, right? Uh, Right in a sense. So a lender looks at any particular person and says, hey, I'm comfortable with this program and you having a 45% debt to income ratio, right? Mm -hmm. So if you're making that 10K, we're okay with you having $4,500 in debt, but your home, your house payment has to be in there. Your student loans have to be in there. So we don't just look at the 9,500. We look more, we take more of a percentage of your gross and say, hey, if you're paying out 45% in debt, including your house payment, we're okay with that. And, you know, you know, assuming everything else is equal. Are you looking at the total debt that is owed or you're looking at the monthly payment obligations? A fair question. No, we are looking at, we're principally looking at the monthly income and then the monthly uh, obligations against that income. Perfect. Which is what I want people to understand. A loan company is looking at how much are you paying every month out towards your debt and how Mm -hmm. much are you bringing in? Correct. So individuals who feel hey, I want to pay off all of my debt as quickly as possible. So then they are taking the shortest repayment period. Those individuals are increasing drastically their monthly obligations, right? And depending on their income, that might be okay, but it could possibly, you know, harm their likelihood to be able to approve for a home. Absolutely. I mean, just as an example, I had a a couple who where they were not in a in the income sensitive plan and they were out of scope. I mean, there was nothing I could do for them. And so I suggested to them, like, hey, why don't you go back to your student loan holders and and have them base your uh, your monthly student loan payment on what you made last year? Because we all know that it's out there, the income sensitive uh, repayment plan. And they did that. And they, they literally just got it over to me not too long ago. And guess what? They're within scope. We're good to go. Amazing. Now, Timothy, we've been connected on LinkedIn for a while. I noticed you have a program for medical professionals, or if I should say high-income individuals, and the program seemed a bit too good to be true. And you know me, I'm (laughs) I'm an honest guy, right? (laughs) (laughs) It said something along the lines of no money down on a mortgage, you know, no PMI, which is no mortgage insurance, right? How is your company able to offer such a service? And is it really too good to be true? I just want you to be honest with me here. Oh, I will absolutely be honest with you. So I use that, I work within that program expertly, right? And I get that a lot. Oh, it's too good to be true. I have people asking me a thousand questions, trying to find the the loophole, trying to find where they're going to get dinged somewhere down the line. Here's the thing. It's a zero down program. It's for physicians, it's for pharmacists, it's for veterinarians, and it's for dentists, right? The reason why Fulton Bank offers that program, and it is indeed zero down, it's up to 1.5 million, 
and there has no private mortgage insurance. Now that 1.5 million is based on your income, like we talked about with the debt to income. We're not just giving out 1.5 million to everybody. Why do we do it? We simply do it because we wanna catch these professionals who statistically say that they're going to amass some wealth, right? They're 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 gonna make a lot of money, let's just put it plainly. And we wanna catch them. We wanna catch them for our deposit relationships, right? We want to catch them, you know, for their for their home buying, and then maybe somewhere down the line, you know, particularly pharmacists, they're a very entrepreneurial bunch, as 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 you yourself are a prime example of. They go out, they do other things, right? They go open up pharmacies, they go do other things. So we want those commercial relationships. So yeah, the pharmacists or the or the other medical professionals, they get that zero down program, and it's great. I use it all the time. I just met with someone prior to this today and got some pre approved. So pretty much the pros of the program is, hey, you're putting no money down, right? You're coming out of school. Maybe you don't have mm-hmm. no capital. You want to get in a home. You're putting zero down. You are not paying private mortgage insurance, which for individuals who don't own a home, what that means is that you're not paying an extra $100, $250, depending on obviously you know, your mortgage amount. It will dictate how much extra you have to pay. And the reason why, uh, you know, mortgage uh, lenders want to ensure that debt is because of what happened 08, 09, right? Yep, yep. The statistics say that if you put down less than that 20%, if you have less skin in the game, so to speak, statistics say anyway that default rates are higher, put it that way, except when income limits are higher. And then that's why the, 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 in- the higher income limit uh, professions get this program. And, and you also, well, you didn't necessarily say the cons, but then for me, what I'm seeing as, you know, the potential negative, depending on how an individual looks at it, is that they have to realize that at the 15-year mark, the interest rate is going to reset, depending on what the LIBOR rates are mm-hmm. in the future, right? So that's the main core thing that an individual needs to know with regards to the program. Other than that, are there any other cons? I don't even consider that a a con, except if uh, the borrower at some point runs into a a position where they can't refinance at the 15-year mark, bankruptcy, something along those lines. That's a con, okay? Mm -hmm. And and that's a con that the borrower can, can hopefully mitigate and control. Yeah, and I appreciate, it's kind of like, you know, your honesty and and just you being genuine with regards to, you know, the other side of the coin. So Timothy, there are two types of mortgage programs. There's FHA loan, and then there's the conventional loan. Can you educate us a bit on what an FHA loan is? What's a conventional loan? And, you know, the difference between the two, are there any pros or cons of going with one versus the other? So I, the best way to give it is in an example, and I just did this for, for one of my clients uh, a few days ago. So the client's looking to purchase a $225,000 home. He came in adamant that, oh, I want FHA. So I quoted him 4% interest rate, FHA. I put on the, the extra money for the mortgage insurance, and I put on the, the, the monthly mortgage insurance payments as well, and I gave him that. And then I said, hey, by the way, let's take a look at this. You may want to consider it. It was 3% down. It had no mortgage insurance. The, the interest rate was a little higher at four and three quarters, but the payments were $130 lower per month on the conventional side. I say all of that to say that mortgage insurance is a big, huge expense. 
that the buyers don't get any benefit from. That's all that all goes toward the insurance company, assuming the buyer never defaults. So it protects the lender, the money goes toward the insurance company, and the buyer just, you know, they just they they're just putting their money into a hole. There are scenarios where FHA makes total sense. If you're sitting at a five eighty credit score and you got some judgments and you got some past dues, because FHA is insuring that loan, there are some lenders out there who will work with you put that 580 credit score, get you into a home. But once again, what does it cost? You always got to go back to that. So Timothy, one last question for you. Now, obviously most of the listeners have an investor mindset, right? Mm -hmm. For individuals who are looking to use homes as rental properties, how does one go about venturing into that? And what do they need to know? So they need to know that lenders are going to look at them a little more closely. Okay. They, they need to have um, finances to support it. So for instance, it, it, are we talking about uh, uh, investors that already own their own home and have a mortgage on it or just people who are living home with mom and dad and investing in property? Let's assume even if they have a home, it's separate, right? So an individual who's looking to buy an, a home just to rent. Mm-hmm. Right. Understood. So if you're looking, if you already own your home and presuming that you have a mortgage on it, right. Mm-hmm. And you go out to pick up an investment property. Yes. Well, lenders are going to say, Hey, you got to be able to, your debt to income has to be able to qualify you to keep the home that you have mm-hmm. and to be within our guidelines for the principal and interest payments and taxes and insurance that on the investment property. Mm-hmm. No, uh, not any lender that I know out there is going to say, Hey, you're looking to invest in a property. You have a renter all line that we're good to go. No, they usually want two years worth of uh, worth of rental income on your 1040s, so they can verify and get comfortable with the amount of income that you have and from a rental property. So that's what makes it tough when you own your own home, unless of course you have the income to support both a primary residence and an investment property. Um, the other thing is that once again, Fannie Mae comes in and says, "Hey, this is an investment property." And the chances of it defaulting are higher than on the principal residence or even on a second home. So by the way, we're going to add two, two and an eighth of an add-on uh, to your point. And so that's going to push you, that's going to push your interest rate up. So investment properties always have a higher interest rate than principal residence and second homes for that matter. Well, thank you so much, Timothy. This conversation, I believe, is going to provide tremendous value to our listeners And I just want to take the opportunity to say, you know, thanks for sharing your knowledge, for just being genuine. So then for individuals who, let's say, are on LinkedIn or on other social media platforms that want to connect with you, what's the best way that they can go about doing that? Oh, Dr. Hans, I appreciate you asking. So on LinkedIn, I'm simply Timothy Michael Johnson. Um, On Facebook, which I do post a lot. I post like some of my day-to-day, what I'm doing, silly stuff. I'm a TMJ loan officer. And when you, and when you put that into the search parameters, it'll come up. Dr. Hines, listen, I want to I thank you for, for providing the framework for this podcast and, and just for all you do for, for the young professionals out there and for me, because I, I listen as well. I appreciate the time that you, that you spent like, kind of getting prepared for this call and allowing me to answer questions and, and, and speak to you. It's been a great honor and I, I thoroughly enjoyed myself. Yeah, likewise, Timothy. 